Hey everyone, it's Tom Krads. I'm really pumped about this episode. We have Francis Pouillat, the founder of Bull Bitcoin on this episode. We have a special URL for you. You can get $20 of free Bitcoin when you sign up to Bull Bitcoin. I'll give you the URL to that in a second. So if you're interested in checking them out, he's the founder of this Bitcoin only exchange and payment service. I had no idea you could use Bitcoin and through Bull Bitcoin, you could pay like over a thousand different utility bills in Canada. You can pay your visa. You can email somebody money like an Interact e-transfer. They basically have a system of Bull Bitcoin that will take your Bitcoin and send it to somebody's email address just like a regular Interact e-transfer. I just really had no idea all of these services exist. Bull Bitcoin also, to me, is on the leading edge in that they don't hold your Bitcoin. So, you know, when you hear about exchanges getting hacked and people losing their Bitcoin, when you use Bull Bitcoin, you send it immediately to your personal Bitcoin wallet and you custody it yourself. If that's something you've not done, stick around to the end of this episode. I'm going to stick around for an extra minute or two and just explain an easy process to do that and where you can get more resources to teach yourself how to do that. But at the end of this episode, I will dive into that with you. And on this particular episode, we get more information around Bull Bitcoin, what they're doing with their mobile app that's a few months away that is really super cool. But we also get the insights of Francis, who's a Canadian who moved to Costa Rica. What is life like in Costa Rica? Why did he move to Costa Rica? How is he managing his team from Costa Rica? And then we get into Bitcoin and you know why he got involved in Bitcoin, where his background is and what drew him kind of to the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And we dive down that world and we just have a great conversation about all things Bitcoin, Canada, the economy, where we go next. Really enjoyed this chat. He's a super passionate guy, but you can tell he really cares, you know, about people, his personal community, the people of Bull Bitcoin. So really a pleasure to get to know him. And if you want to sign up to Bull Bitcoin, start using it yourself, you can go to Rockstar btc.ca. So it's a special URL we set up. And if you go there, it's going to redirect you to a special page of Bull Bitcoin, where if you sign up for a new account, you will get $20 worth of Bitcoin free for signing up. So that's Rockstar BTC. BTC is short for Bitcoin. So Rockstar BTC.ca. And you will get $20 of free Bitcoin when you go there. One of the coolest things that you know I didn't really know existed until they announced it is that we with their service, you can set up a non-KYC account as well, where you you know you set up an account where you don't have to give your full ID. And for any transfers that you make through Canada Post to Bill Bic Bull Bitcoin, you really don't even have to give your identity to buy Bitcoin. I just had no idea this kind of existed. So you can have a non-KYC account at Bull Bitcoin. And for any purchases of Bitcoin over under under a thousand dollars, you don't have to give your full identity. That's something brand new. And it only exists when you go to Canada Post and you give them this QR code and you can fund your account for any dollar amount under a thousand dollars. It's pretty remarkable. I just had new, no idea there was a, a Canadian Bitcoin only exchange and payment service doing all these kind of wonderful things. So there you go. Really a fan of what they're building out. Want to try to support these guys as best we can and hopefully enjoy this episode. If you stick around at the end, I will walk you through really briefly how you could use a service like Bull Bitcoin that does not custody your Bitcoin and take possession of the Bitcoin directly when you buy it. Definitely worth checking out and enjoy the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? 
Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Francis Pouillot. Francis, thank you for doing this. I would just seeing your background and I was joking with you that you're in a much better location than I'm in right now. So uh, can you just give everyone just, I don't know, brief background. We're going to get into bull Bitcoin and like all the background of bull Bitcoin in a little bit, but who are you and where are you right now? Yeah. So uh, I'll start with where I am. I, uh, I live in Costa Rica. I left Canada um, the summer of 2020. Um, specifically because of the of the lockdown and of the the covid regulations and rules that were happening in Canada um and uh, I haven't been back, back since and I'm I'm very happy about this decision um I you know I I grew up in Montreal I'm a I'm a Quebecer through and through um however uh the vibe the vibe in Montreal and just Canadian big cities is is just terrible everybody seems to be demotivated and there doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs entrepreneurs are vilified and the culture is uh, is very uh, collectivist. Um, and out here, I live in the jungle. Um, it's a very free place. Uh, entrepreneurship is thriving over here. Uh, there's a lot of expats. There's uh, an incredible amount of Canadians that live down here. I don't know how many people left Canada since the lockdowns, um, but just based on my personal observation, there are literally thousands and thousands of Canadians that moved from Costa Rica uh, from Canada to Costa Rica. And when you ask someone like, how long have you lived here? You know, the answer is always the same. It's like, yeah, you know, I came here during 2020. So, uh, I like to say I'm a, I'm a COVID refugee down here in Canada. Um, <laughs> you know, just, just on that note, one of our real estate lawyers who does a lot of real estate stuff, his client base, he had 0% of his clients a few years ago, working on files to leave Canada. Now yeah. 5% of his client base is yeah. all on files that he's helping people leave Canada. Yeah. So this yeah. is a new this is a new phenomenon that looks like it's continuing. Yeah, and it, it's not it's also it's not just like the COVID lockdowns and um, the cost of living. It's also like raising a family in Canada to me sounds very sketchy, very dangerous. I'm not at all a fan of the culture in public schools. I'm not a fan of. Uh, I know people that have been interrogated by you know child protection services because of the political opinions that they posted on Facebook and and so on and so forth. Um, so it just, it just doesn't seem like a great place to, to raise a family. And that's, that's why I came down here and, um, down here, you know, homeschooling is, is very common. Um, you have alternative, ex excellent alternative private schools. It's very family focused. Everybody's very based. Um, people here are not, they're not like conservatives, but they're like very anti-establishment. So you'll have people are into homesteading, growing their own food, eating healthy, organic foods, um, distrusting big pharma and so on and so forth. So there's a really cool culture of like expats that are anti-establishment that, that came to establish themselves here. So it's, a uh, it, you, you have also here like out in the jungle, a sense of community living that you don't get in Canada at all. Um, knowing your neighbor is very important. Life here is hard. I mean, I wouldn't live living in, in the, in the jungle in Costa Rica is not easy. Um, it's, it's difficult. You know, your vehicle is always breaking down. Um, sourcing excellent food is, is not extremely easy. You need to have like connections and um, it can be a little dangerous living out here. So it's very important for people to foster this sense of community, which, which I really like. So it's, it's kind of like living in the, in the countryside in a, in a small town where everybody knows each other. Um, 
but it's uh it's it's very cool and uh i recommend people yeah definitely check out costa rica it's costa rica by the way it's not a cheap place to live uh, especially if you live in one of those expat towns like mexico is far cheaper and el salvador is far cheaper and south america uh, costa rica is, is a very expensive actually place to live uh, real estate here is is very expensive rent is crazy expensive so don't come to costa rica for saving money necessarily Um, if you want to come to Costa Rica, it's, it's for, it's for freedom. And, and you're living in the jungle. So is it also expensive to live in, live in the jungle? And what does that mean? You have a house that you found that's like off the beaten path, not in one of the expat communities, I assume. Well, I mean, most of the expats that I know do not live in the, in the capital city of Costa Rica, San Jose, San Jose is not at all a nice place to live. Um, it's, it's like a very sprawled out, like it's a very big urban area. There's not a lot of culture. Um, it's not, not like living in buenos aires or mexico city like at all um it's it's everybody kind of lives on either kind of like a beachside community or like a mountainside community um so you know the area that i'm in is the the south coast uh southwest coast of costa rica and it's about a 50 kilometer kind of radius where people just like have kind of like houses it's kind of like you know the northern canada kind of mm -hmm. you know like got it yep. like muskoka kind of area where you're gonna have like a big nice country house and there's like a small town center somewhere um yeah so people live off of the beaten path it's there's no there's no major city uh down here do you see any canadians going down there that um are starting new business, like a business to support themselves or are most Canadians going down with some wealth so they can kind of live and survive without really doing any new work. There, there, there's, there's two types. There's obviously like the digital nomad type, um, people like myself who have an online job. Um, they're going to be, you know, programmers, graphic designers, maybe they have a drop shipping business or something like that. And they, they are sustaining them. Like I'm doing the same exact job that I was doing in my office in Canada. Like my, my work, has not changed at all. Even when I had an office in Canada, I would get my staff to come in like, you know, twice a week for meetings and stuff like that. But most of the time we were working from home. Um, so you have like this digital nomad kind of type. And then of course, um, a lot of the tourism businesses here are run by expats. So that's going to be like restaurants. A lot of people are doing Airbnb that's very, very common. So people come down here. Okay. Um, yeah. They notice that there is a, an incredible demand for living out here in the jungle in the middle of nowhere, very, very little housing. Most of the housing is, you know, um, we call them like Tico houses and it's not, it's not very derogative. It's, it's kind of like a common phrase. A Tico house is basically kind of like a very minimalistic shack. Usually it's like one story with a couple of rooms and, um, it's not, it's not like a modern two or three story house with a you know pool and stuff like that. Um, so a lot of expats are coming down here, they're buying uh, Tico houses and, and remodeling them, or they're buying land and, and, um, Uh, building airbnbs so uh it's a very heavily tourism dependent area so so real estate is actually down here is actually the main kind of like mm, got the, it yeah the, the main driver and um like just construction and real estate generally in costa rica is like probably the biggest economic um economic driver um and it's interesting because down here in costa rica especially like in the countryside the land is amazing and fertile and it's also close to the beach And it's the climate is just perfect. So it's not, um, there's no like dangerous animals down here. There's no like dangerous snakes and shit like that. You, you, you have an idea of like the jungle as being like super dangerous, but it's actually very mild. The rainy, I'm in the rainy season right now. I'm like peak rainy season. And as you can tell, uh, it's very sunny. So the climate's really nice. And a lot of the land here was very, very, very poor people were, were owning like a thousand acres of land down here. 
Um, in the 70s, there was a big push by the Costa Rican government to get people out of the cities to go farm and um, create uh, cattle ranches to export beef to the United States. So you have these gigantic farms and like now all of these local farmers, they're selling off their land for millions of dollars. So there's kind of like a gold rush right now to oh, buy wow. yeah. property down here. Um, and uh, there's a lot of space. So, so, so it's very, very nice. Um, and the, the real estate market, so driven by the COVID expats that left Europe, there's a lot of Europeans also. I, I see a lot of Germans and French people that are like telling me like, you know, they're, they're scared of world war three. First of all, uh, they're scared of war with Russia. They're scared of not uh, having the food supply chain disrupted. So like food, a lot of people have homesteads, you know, like buy 20 acres and here, you know, you can grow fruits very easily. You can eat very well with a homestead. It's, it's, you can be fully self-sustained. Um, so, so, so you have a lot of that and people come down here and then they'll open like bakeries, they'll open, um, restaurants, they're, op they're, they're starting import business. Um, so either you're a digital nomad and you come down here or you come down here and you start, if you have capital, you're going to typically start like an Airbnb business or something like that. You'll buy like, you know, a lot of people buy like mm -hmm. five to 10 acres and then they'll build, they'll build like six to eight, you know, homes. And then they'll, they'll rent those out for, for very high rent. I mean, in, in a, in a coastal town that's close to a surf beach that has, you know, an active yoga community. So, you know, a lot of tourism from Western wealthy types, um, rents can easily go to like 3000 us a month for like a big house. Um, and then you'll be able to find something like a small house for like 700 bucks. It's, it's, it's possible to find like cheap, small house. It's not like Mexico where you'll, they'll pay like 200 bucks a month in like mm -hmm. a small town. Um, so, you know, buying, buying some, some, some house, remodeling it or building a house and renting it out for two grand a month is, is, is pretty common. Uh, so, yeah. I wonder if, well, see, I didn't mean to ask you this, but now you got me thinking, I wonder if we're witnessing the very early adoption curve of a complete, you know, change in immigration and, and movement. Like my parents are both immigrants to Canada. My father's Croatian. My mother's Scottish, both yeah. very poor. My father was actually a refugee into Canada. Um, and then, you know, we're born, my brother and I are born there uh, in Canada here. But now it feels like there's another movement of people and you're the early adoption wave of that movement. If I extrapolate out 50 years, you can almost see like, oh my gosh, like all the new businesses are going to be in a place like Costa Rica or maybe other places like South America. Like I see what's happening in Buenos Aires or sorry, Argentina with that new politician. I forget his name, but I love his hair. You know, the yeah. guy I'm talking about who just- Yeah, Javier, Javier Millet. Thank you. And so yeah. if he gets into power, you can almost extrapolate out 10, yeah. 20, 30 years and yeah. say, oh my gosh, these countries are the new up and coming countries yeah. and the developed nations as we see them now are the ones on the, on the decline. Um, I want most Canadians, I think, are pretty aware of Bitcoin at this point and they follow the price. You know, but what I like about what you share on your Twitter account and the way you talk about Bitcoin, you're talking about buying fruits with Bitcoin and stuff. Can you talk or explain to some Canadians who just follow the price what you see? And we're, we are going to get to bull Bitcoin. I am going to get to the bull yeah. Bitcoin stuff. But what you see in your daily life and what's happening to, to Bitcoin and just share yeah. that, because I, I think most Canadians, they don't see this what you see. And I think it's valuable. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of use cases for for Bitcoin. OK, so. To get back to like when I when I first started in to get into Bitcoin, that was about ten years ago, the early twenty thirteen. 
I started out very ideological and activists minded. I was a, I was a libertarian free market guy. Um, my job was actually to, uh, I, I was an economic analyst for the Montreal economic Institute, which is like a free market libertarian think tank. And, um, I was looking at how to affect change in Canada, how to get Canada away from the socialist model more towards a free market, libertarian kind of like society model. That was the explicit objective of the Montreal Economic Institute. And I just got so disappointed and dis disgruntled and demotivated and depressed at just looking at how to affect change in Canada. I'm like, this is never, Canada is never going to change. Like once you have a socialist kind of policy in place to reverse it is nearly impossible. It's really easy to get socialism in to regulate an industry or to nationalize an industry or to add taxes, but to remove those is it's like a, like, like a one way street, you know, you add regulation and then you cannot ever um, remove them. I became very, very disgruntled. And I was looking for, I, I was, I was interested in, um, in like, how do I opt out? I, I'm, I'm, I will not be able to change the system from within my initial goal was, okay, I'm going to join kind of like Canadian politics. I was a politics major and I'm going to try to change the system from the inside inch by inch incrementally to make it more free and more liberal from a, a free market liberalism perspective. And that just wasn't happening. So I was like, all right, I, I'm looking for ways to opt out. And that's, um, that's how I, I found Bitcoin and I discovered Austrian economics. So, and, uh, I, I didn't know how money was created. So I studied politics as a bachelor's degree and then politics as a master's degree. And then I worked for, um, economic uh, think tanks. Wow. And after all of that, I still didn't know how money really was created because even when you study economics, like back in those days, now it's a little bit more common because of Bitcoin. But back in those days, we didn't talk about central banking at all. Um, central banks were not public. Uh, what they were doing was very, very shadowy and obscure. And then after, learning about Bitcoin, I discovered how Canadian dollars and U S dollars are created through the central banking system through debt. And I was like, what the fuck? This is a gigantic <laughs> scam. And, and then I started to tie back all of the problems that I was seeing in society could be tied back to the fact that there is an endless money printer that is subsidizing bad decisions. Right. And there is endlessly financing governments, right? So governments are, have this infinite financing mechanism. So they have zero incentive to be uh, decent with the money because you can always print more money. And this creates, um, and you know, we mentioned before, um, before recording, um, you read the, the, uh, the Bitcoin standard. So, you know, as it's very well explained in the Bitcoin standard and in the fiat standard by safety in the moose, this, this creates a lot of um, horrible incentives and it degrades the culture. It makes everything low time preference, uh, high time preference. So you'll see the quality of goods um, decrease over time. Um, the quality of culture decrease over time, the quality of entertainment and so on and so forth. So all of these problems can be tied back to the, the creation of money. So I got into Bitcoin initially as an ideological stance. And my thought was, I want to opt out of this system of basically debt slavery, right? So when the government is printing money and borrowing money, uh, via printing money or via other forms of debt, it basically creates inflation for the next generations, and it puts the it puts the the younger generations on the hook to pay back this debt, which will be they will never be able to repay. It's able to finance socialism, and it's able able to finance war. So I want to ideologically opt out from this system. I feel like if I'm holding Canadian dollars, 
I'm complicit in this system. So I don't want to touch that money. I want I want to, I, I, it's like, it's unethical money. It's dirty money to me. Right. And, and I want to hold ethical sound money that doesn't imply any form of violence and that doesn't create. So, you know, when you're holding Bitcoin or, or, or when you're creating Bitcoin, it doesn't um, imply that someone has to, has to give anything to you. There's, um, when, when you're holding fiat and when you're creating fiat, someone is eventually going to, to, to have to pay back for it with, with, with Bitcoin. There's no like debt tied to it, um, from, from someone else. And with Bitcoin, you're taking on the risk entirely upon yourself. There's, there's no systematic risk in Bitcoin, right? So, you know, in the banking, in the traditional fiat system, if a, uh, if, if a bank goes, goes down, um, or banking system collapses, they will straight up just print money to refinance the banks, or they will issue uh, the central bank will, will print money and buy, um, uh, bank assets and bank liabilities, uh, with it, uh, with Bitcoin, you, you, and this is the money that you, if, if you're came, if, if you're a person and you're holding government money, you're giving value to this money, which is able to bail out those systems. Um, so it, it became very ideological to me in the beginning. Um, and then I started to look a little bit more about um, censorship. So uh, payment censorship and how governments could steer society in a, in a specific direction by censoring some speech and allowing some speech. So the first major event for me was um, WikiLeaks. So mm. WikiLeaks, for those who don't know, is the organization of Julian Assange. And he was um, very vocal about the war in Iraq. And he published a video uh, of American soldiers killing some journalists in Iraq. And as a result, his organization, WikiLeaks, was cut off from the banking system. So um, it was it was sustained by donations from PayPal and from, I don't know, bank transfers and whatever, credit cards. And then uh, the government uh, prevented PayPal and all those credit card companies from allowing WikiLeaks to receive donations. But then WikiLeaks started to accept Bitcoin donations and was able to finance its, its operations uh, exclusively with, with Bitcoin donations. So I looked at this and I was like, all right, so the ultimate weapon of government to prevent some kind of social change or social movement is to censor those who are talking. And because the internet is open, you can't really censor someone on the internet because they can always run a website, but you can prevent them from getting paid and you can limit their reach by, by limiting their resources. So Bitcoin was a way for me to, uh, to stop government censorship. And then, um, so I, I became very interested in the, in the censorship. I started out interested in the monetary aspect of Bitcoin. The fact that there's only 21 million Bitcoin to create Bitcoin. You need to expend some proof of work. The amount of Bitcoin created over time is, is following this logarithmic curve. So I'm assuming that people are kind of familiar with this idea that Bitcoin is sound money. It's, it's limited in supply and you cannot create more of it. Um, but then there's also the transactional aspect of Bitcoin, which is nobody can stop a Bitcoin transaction from taking place. So that was, that was really interesting to me. And then obviously, which you know, to me is uh, almost the most powerful part of it. Yeah. Like yeah, to me, yeah. that's the most powerful part of this. Mm -hmm. No, we all talk. And again, in Canada, everyone will talk about the price. Like what's the, the fiat Canadian dollar price yeah. of Bitcoin. But the yeah. fact that you and I can transact directly right yeah. now, if we chose to, and no one can stop that to yeah. me, that's just mind blowing. And that's why yeah. this thing is like a technology, uh, like a new monetary network that yeah. I feel is going to crush the traditional financial system. You know, the way Jeff Booth talks about, like, there's this technology trend here yeah. and there's this old system here and they're kind of fighting each other right now. I, you can almost just see just like Skype kind of destroyed a lot of the traditional 
telephone yeah. companies. Yeah. And just like something like, I don't know if you're familiar with salesforce.com. I used to work at a company called NetSuite and they started taking accounting data into the cloud and they destroyed all the Microsoft technology, which was all desktop based. Yeah. And everyone started putting their stuff into the internet and that destroyed a whole line of older software companies. You can just see that this is yet another technology trend that is now affecting the monetary system. And this one, to me, looks like it's going to take down the entire banking system. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and you know, I know that might sound crazy. Like you, so you, know, and you don't think I'm crazy when I say that we're obviously, no. yeah, yeah. No, no, of course not. Um, there, there's to, to touch on this point specifically, there, there's a certain amount, there's a certain point where you cannot bail out the banks anymore. Right. So, so, so there's a cycle of bailouts for the banks and you print money to, to bail out the banks. But as we've seen in Argentina, if you continue this cycle long enough, then the currency completely loses its value and you, you simply do not have the, the, the capacity to bail the banks out anymore. And it's kind of like, you know, a bubble that's growing and growing and growing. And, you know, it's being bailed out continuously by the, by the, by the central bank. And then at some point, uh, the, 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 the act of creating money, um, is no longer meaningful because the money has lost its value. And, you know, a lot of this like censorship resistance stuff and, and seizure resistance stuff is, it's very th theoretical for people uh, until it happens to them, you know, mm -hmm. or until it happens to someone they know. So I was fortunate enough to have that experience in 2015. So like two years after I got into Bitcoin, I had my PayPal account um, frozen uh, because I was using my PayPal account to like, I was, you know, um, doing, uh, s sending money to exchanges and so on. So I, I was like connecting my PayPal account to some Bitcoin stuff and PayPal just froze my account. And I had like, you know, $20,000 in my PayPal account or something like that. And then, uh, without, with an explanation that your account has been deemed like too high risk and like we've frozen your funds and, um, no explanation as to how I was to unfreeze those funds. Uh, they were ultimately locked for six months. And then, uh, there was no recourse for me to have, like, I was like, who do I contact? Like PayPal is not even a Canadian company. Like, is there, is there, is there a, and there's no appeals process to this. There's like, we freeze your account. You can't withdraw it. Go fuck yourself. Um, so that happened to me uh, in 2015 and I was like, oh my God, like the money that I have. Uh, and this also happened to me with some Canadian banks. Um, around that time I had, um, bank accounts frozen by some Canadian banks. Uh, at the time they were very, very like shy with Bitcoin stuff. And they, a, a bunch of Bitcoin people had their bank accounts, uh, shut down in, in, in around 2015. So I was like, all right, banks can shut my account down. PayPal can freeze, um, my money. So it's not even a question of, is it more risky for me to hold money in Canadian dollars or with Bitcoin as an investment, right? So it's not the question of like, which one is going to give me the best returns or, or in, and the highest increase of purchasing power over time. It's a question of which one will I be able to access? And of course in 20, um, 2021 Canadians got, you know, big lesson in that when, or 2022, when, um, um, you know, there was a trucker protest in Canada. I think that was a big red pill, red pilling moment mm -hmm. for a lot of Canadians that they were like, the government will never shut down your bank account. That's something that, you know, Russians do, or that's something that China does. It's not, never going to happen here. It's, you know, um, but of course it did happen here. Um, so Bitcoin is censorship. So to transact Bitcoin cannot be stopped, but Bitcoin is also seizure resistant. It's a bearer asset. It's kind of like gold, but it's even better than gold because if you are, a lot of people will, will hold gold because they don't trust the banks and they don't trust the government and, and they understand intuitively 
Um, a lot of a lot of like older people also understand this because they've they've, they've seen examples of this happening in Europe, and a lot of people are 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 immigrants, and it happened. You know, we were discussing about um, some of you know your story in in Croatia. So so, so people like older people have seen other countries. Uh, people in, in other countries have their bank accounts seized and stolen for arbitrary reasons. Sometimes governments, they'll, they will eliminate a certain note from circulation. You know, sometimes the government will say, all right, the hundred dollar note mm-hmm. no longer valid. So if you hold that, it's worth nothing. Right. And then you cannot withdraw it from the bank. The bank will just, you know, uh, and if you have it at home um, and you try to cash in a hundred dollar note at the bank, you know, you're going to be like, you know, on the list of people who are hoarding hundred dollar notes or something. And uh, this ha- also happened with gold, right? So gold had a uh, confiscation in the U S in multiple countries. Um, so if you're holding gold in your house, it's seizure resistant in the sense that if it's not in a bank vault or it's not held um, at the bank uh, as fiat, the bank cannot arbitrarily seize it, but it's, it's fairly easy for someone to come into your house and steal your gold. And it's fairly easy for the government to knock down your, your door and seize your gold. And if you're traveling, for example, from, let's say that you want to move to Paraguay, right? And you have a bunch of gold, try to bring that gold on the airplane mm. to Paraguay. It will for sure get seized, right? Um, there's, there's like no question. And now there's a rule also where you can't travel with more than $10,000 worth of, uh, of currency or, or bearer assets and, and so on and so forth. But with Bitcoin, it's, it's very different. So a lot of people misunderstand how Bitcoin works. I, I don't want to get too technical here. Um, Bitcoin is not just an entry in like, in like some cloud. Bitcoin is not just some account held by a Bitcoin bank. And I'm talking here about Bitcoins that you hold yourself, right? Because, and I'm going to make a distinction here. A lot of people, they buy Bitcoin and they leave it on the exchange. The exchange is custodying their Bitcoin. That's exactly the same thing as having um, money in the bank. And in fact, it's even more dangerous because banks are still more I think trustworthy than Bitcoin exchanges. Bitcoin exchanges can seize your Bitcoins, can freeze your accounts and can run off with your money. So I'm talking here about um, Bitcoin that you have bought on an exchange and that you have taken possession of in your own Bitcoin wallet. Um, so when you do that, um, the only way to access the, those Bitcoins is with the Bitcoin private key that is usually encrypted with a passphrase. So a lot of the time when people, they create a Bitcoin wallet, um, and, you know, we have a bunch of tutorials on our website on how, to, how to do that. You can you can create a passphrase so that even if someone finds your your phone, even if someone finds your computer, even if someone finds your backup in your house, they cannot seize those Bitcoins without your cooperation. So, of course, someone can point a gun to your head and tell you, like giving your password, the government can put you in jail and tell you, you have to give us your password, but you have to comply and give your password for them to have access. Whereas gold, they'll just come to your house. And, you know, if there's a, if the gold's in the safe, they're going to just break the safe. You cannot break the safe of encryption um, in Bitcoin. So this, this uh, Caesar resistant aspect of, of Bitcoin to me is like one of the major differences with gold, which is that, you know, to, to get even more like crazy um, to access your Bitcoin, you need 12 words. So those 12 words um, are created by a software called a Bitcoin wallet. And this is how you recover your Bitcoin. So let's say that you have Bitcoin on your phone and you lose your phone. How do you recover those Bitcoins? Well, the kind of like access key to your Bitcoin is actually 12 random words. And it's actually not that difficult to remember 12 words if you really try hard. So technically you could 
move from one country to another, not even having the Bitcoin on your phone. You wiped your phone, you wiped your laptop completely. You just remember the 12 words. You move from country A to country B. When you're in country B and you feel safe over there, you pull out your laptop, you pull out your phone, you enter the 12 words into your device, and then the Bitcoins will um, re be regenerated on that new device. So this is, you, you're able to like almost teleport your wealth without in the in in the time of transportation it be being vulnerable and this is how banks started you know in, initially banks started out as a mechanism for you to store your gold you would store the gold into the bank and then if you want to move money from one bank account to another you don't want to take the gold bars out and like walk into make a payment you know this is how wells fargo started out in the west you're gonna you know wire transfer the gold and then the banks will then later settle those those big transactions with each other this is how gold essentially became fiat but with bitcoin you you, you don't have to um you don't have to do that you can actually securely physically store your wealth and move from one place to another and that to me is 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 uh, incredibly uh, incredibly p powerful and well on that on that point sorry Francis. Yeah. on that point if you think yeah. that my aunt went to jail in croatia for taking dinars and exchanging them for german marks so why were people doing that first of all because the dinars were losing so much value that people wanted to yeah. protect their purchasing power so they were willing to go to her to try to get some german marks the yeah. communist government at the time finds out she's doing this, puts her in jail for three months as punishment for doing this because they don't want people to not use the dinars. They need yeah. people to continue to use the dinars. Imagine then if she had Bitcoin yeah. or the yeah. people that she was interacting with, yeah. it could be put into the internet. And with yeah. the 12 word example that you're discussing, if she knew her the 12 words that she would have for herself to control those yeah. Bitcoin, nobody yeah. could do anything. And the people yeah. wouldn't even need to transact with her because they could yeah. get their own Bitcoin. Yeah. And there wouldn't be this kind of marketplace for like money that doesn't need to happen. People could just store bare assets themselves. When yeah. I hear myself say that, when I hear you say that, I think the most typical Canadians are going to think, okay, these two people are really going off the deep end. Why do you think... Is this a trend in Canada? Like I look at Canada, like the old Bell companies, that the financial yeah. system here is one of the better ones in, in, in the world, quote unquote, better ones. Okay. So most Canadians are like, I don't need to know all this stuff, guys. Like this stuff, it's, it's, it's too crazy sounding, but I yeah. feel like there's this technology change happening and they don't see it. And I feel like this decade, they're going to need to know this information. Do you think yeah. it's this decade where something kind of happens to the banking system where everyone in Canada is going to need to know this stuff? Like, what's your timeline for the evolution of a drastic monetary change? I'm just curious. I know, I know you don't have a crystal ball. De de definitely, definitely this decade. And, and I'm going to be a little. Uh, so I've been I've been saying this for a while. Right. When I first got into Bitcoin, I was like and I understood the monetary system. I was like, there's no way that there's no way this can last for more than like three years. So I was like. You know, I got yeah. into Bitcoin in 2013 and then I was like, by 2016, for sure, the system is going to collapse. And then by 2019, for sure, the system is going to collapse. But with what happened with COVID um, and what we're seeing with climate change. So with COVID, what, what, what we've witnessed is that the government's power is not limited by any constitutional rules. So this is like, all right. So we thought that there was some kind of barrier to what the governments can do, which is the Canadian constitution, the Canadian charter of rights, the American constitution, that all went out the window. There is no institution like, um, there's no legal institution, there's no civil or social institution that will be able to stop or willing to stop what the governments are going to do. So, so we've established now that the government has unlimited money. We've also established that the government will not print 
that the, the government will restrain itself from printing too much money. But we've seen in the uh, in the U.S. mostly in 2008 with the real estate crash and with the, the COVID bubble in 2020, governments are willing to print an endless and infinite amount of money. They have no reserves on that whatsoever. And what we're also seeing um, is a shift of the climate change hysteria. The COVID hysteria was kind of like short lived. Um, so that was like a very intense, very short lived uh, experience of government overreach and central bank overreach. But now we have like the climate change hysteria, which is a long-term, I think a long-term kind of like social movement where the governments have an excuse to really crack down on the population, really print a lot of, a lot of money because they're going to regulate the economy. They're going to kill the economy. And then they're going to need to provide, you know, UBI universal basic income. They're going to need to provide welfare because everybody's going to be losing their jobs over time because the government's killing the economy in the name of protecting the environment. They are going to need to continuously print money to finance the climate change agenda. There's no way to finance the climate change agenda other than continuously printing money. And unfortunately there is a large enough social like democratic movement in favor of this, that for sure the governments are going to do it, right? So people want, generally speaking, the masses of people want the government to print money to uh, save the climate. So um, we are, I think we are at a breaking point where to do what we did with COVID like another time would completely kill. So right now, for example, look like, you know, the Canadian Central Bank has increased interest rates. I think it's the largest and fastest increase in rates. Deepest incline, yes. In yeah. Uh, yeah, probably since at least the early nineties, since the early nineties, yeah. but I think it's beat the early nineties now. Yeah. Yes, and and inflation is still going up. So the like the levers that the central bank was pushing uh, to bring inflation down are are not working. So what is their solution? You know, they either, they, they either need to raise the rates more, or to say like fuck it, we're not we're not going to be able to stop inflation. So let's just continue printing money and let inflation rise anyway. Um, so, so we're definitely at a, at a breaking point and a lot. Okay. So, and also for Canadians, right? So I think the Canadian Bitcoin investor, generally speaking, is someone who, uh, who under who, who was before a gold bug, someone who is, um, like an entrepreneur or free market or is a wealth creator generally, um, someone who is, um, suspicious of the banking system, and you and overall, what I'm seeing, it's it's relatively it's either like very ideologically minded people or wealthy people. Right. Mm. And not a lot of people are using Bitcoin for transactional terms. They don't they don't need Bitcoin to receive payments in their business, um, you know, unless you're doing some kind of like gray market kind of business and you're, you're having a hard time to get into. Uh, so people in Canada use Bitcoin, you know, for gambling, you know, they, 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 it's a very common way to get money to an online casino because they're, they're, sure. they're banned in Canada. But unless, unless you're like in the gray or, or black markets kind of uh, area, there's no real need to use Bitcoin for transactions because Interact works well, your credit card works well. Yeah, credit cards are a little expensive, you know, but still it, it's like working relatively well. So in Canada, it's mostly people, they want to preserve their wealth in terms of purchasing power. They want to invest in Bitcoin to you know, make, make money from Bitcoin, or they want to remove their, their wealth from the banks 
and then they have an alternative between either it's going to be gold or it's going to be, um, uh, you know, Bitcoin. Um, the same kind of people that, you know, would remove their, their bank from the wealth to like in, invest in, in real estate because they'll think like, oh, it's hard. It's a hard asset. You know, it's not, it's not like a flimsy uh, bank account, you mm -hmm. know, I, it's tangible and I can monetize it. But, you know, with the communist government that we have in power, do you think that they will, they, they will lock you in your house and force you to have a vaccine, but they will not take away your home and revoke your property rights? Fuck. No, of course. Like, like your rights, your, your rights don't matter, right? They will rent control the shit out of you and they will seize your house to um, turn your condo into uh, an immigrant housing housing project. So it's not it's not censorship resistant at all. Uh, you're very, very dependent. Your property rights, your property rights in real estate are dependent on the government enforcing your property rights. Your property rights in Bitcoin are dependent on cryptography, on math. So in Bitcoin, the property right is self-enforced. Whereas in gold, it's determined by, you know, your capacity to physically defend your house. Mm -hmm. In Bitcoin, it's mathematical cryptographic security. And in real estate, it's the government will enforce it because if someone comes into your house to squat your house, how are you going to get that squatter out? If ever, well, you're going to have to, you know, get a court order to get that person evicted because, you know, if you try to get into your house and kick out the squatter, you will probably end up in jail, not mm. the squatter. Probably, the, the squatter is probably going to win, you know, some kind of grandfathered right to your to your to your property. Um, so in Canada, it's really more about wealth. Here in Costa Rica, people think people do not would not believe just how how much stuff you can pay for with Bitcoin. Okay, so I, I share a lot of on my Twitter about this 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 concept of paying with Bitcoin in Costa Rica because it is very widespread. Where I live, I live in an area that we call the Bitcoin jungle because there's so many people accepting Bitcoin here. There's probably 150 merchants where I, I can I can spend Bitcoin. I can I spend Bitcoin every week on meat, dairy, fruits, veggies. I spend uh, my rent is paid in Bitcoin. Um, I uh, spend Bitcoin on uh, uh, I have a delivery service that delivers groceries to my house that I pay with Bitcoin. Um, restaurants, I can pay with Bitcoin. Coffee, I can pay with Bitcoin. You know, surf rentals, I can pay with Bitcoin. It's like, it's nuts, you know? It's, it's, I'm, I'm like living off of Bitcoin. And I'm surprised. I'm surprised it's that many people like your rent, renting surfboards. So this is a circular economy just developing naturally itself. Well, and, it, de it developed mostly because, yes, naturally, but um, there's a lot of expats that are Bitcoiners that came to Costa Rica mm -hmm. because they, ideologically like bitcoiners are i guess um ideologically inclined to, to be homesteading and being off the grid and you know be, being self-sustaining kind of kind of types of people so there was a lot of bitcoiners in this area and started to preach bitcoin and then what happened is the uh, the farmers markets um a lot of people they don't have credit card machines to accept credit card payments so the farmers markets started to, uh, the vendors at the market started to accept Bitcoin payments. How did they understand like, the value of Bitcoin? Was it you going around to some of them trying to explain that this is an asset? Like, how did that happen? It, it, it happened exactly like this. It was kind of like word of mouth. And then, it, you know, once you explain Bitcoin to someone and they get it, they cannot stop themselves from preaching Bitcoin. It's kind of like the, the, mimet the mimetic meme, a viral nature of Bitcoin is that once you really understand it, you become fucking excited. You're like, wow. And then you cannot shut the fuck up about Bitcoin. You talk to Bitcoin about, uh, to everyone, you know, I'm sure people who fell into the rabbit hole of Bitcoin, they understand this. It's like you, you become part of a, and, and you're excited because 
finally there is something that is positive and hopeful. Like it's not just doom and gloom, like normies. I call them normies, people who are, who are just kind of like sleepwalking through life for them. The world is just like doom and gloom. Like, the, you know, the earth is going to burn and climate change is going to kill everyone. And then there's inequality and racism and there's war and everything sucks. And like, you know, I'm, you know, smoking weed, watching Netflix, ordering takeout and taking antidepressants and everything's shit. That's, and then you discover Bitcoin and you're like, wait a minute, this is like something hopeful I can attach to. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like how people used to, 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 to feel with religion, you know, religion and God used to be like a, a source of hope and optimism in your life. And, you know, people don't have that anymore. So, you know, you find Bitcoin and it kind of, kind of becomes your, your, your new, new and your new religion. And it's it, when you get into Bitcoin, it also changes your life. It changes how you value your own time. It changes how you see your wealth. It changes how you conceive of technological progress. It, it also changes your conception of like what we can accomplish as a people without government. You know, if we remove government, we, we are able to sustain a global monetary payments transactional network with like, there's like thousands tens of thousands of businesses that are, that are that there's a whole industry and economy around this. And there is no central entity that is coordinating any of us at all. The protocol just works spontaneously through like human voluntary collaboration. And there, there, there is no denying that Bitcoin works. Like you can, you, you can maybe believe that something else is going to come up one day or that People will lose interest in Bitcoin, but you cannot deny that it works flawlessly. I prove it by making payments here in Costa Rica. And I also prove it by, I've been running, like Bull Bitcoin has been a bill payments business, right? So we, we've been allowing Canadians to pay their bills. I'm sure we're going to get to that like uh, mm -hmm. eventually. But, um, and, and, you know, every single Bitcoin payment that I've ever received from a client was successful. Like Bitcoin payments do not fail. They're not chargebackable. They're not reversible to a large degree. They're not traceable. Um, there, there is no denying that Bitcoin as a payment system works mm. so far. Historically, it also does work as a store of value. Of course, the Bitcoin price is very volatile. So, you know, people will sneer and be like, hey, how's your store of value going? And went from <laughs> 70 grand to like 20 grand. Um, or something like that. But it's like, yeah. But like when I first heard about Bitcoin, it was $2. When I first bought into Bitcoin, it was $200 and now it's $50,000. So, you know, if you remove yourself a little bit, um, and, and you, you zoom out basically of that, of that chart, it is on a long enough timeline. It is an effective way to preserve wealth. Time will tell if this continues. I'm obviously hundred percent confident that, that it will. Um, so you, you really, Bitcoin can, there's so many use cases of Bitcoin. people like, why is anybody going to use Bitcoin? Well, kind of like remove yourself from like the wealthy Canadian investor type. Right. So one of my favorite stories is I was in Costa Rica. I am Costa Rica, but I was visiting a women's shelter um, where you have these Nicaraguan immigrant women, mostly that are victim of domestic abuse and orphan and, and a lot of orphans and they don't have legal paperwork. They can't work in Costa Rica. They're, they're illegal immigrants. They don't have a social security number. They don't have a passport. They don't have any ID. They're fully, fully off of the system. There is zero way they can ever get paid. They don't have a bank account because they don't have ID. So how can they get a bank account? They don't have an address. And then we hooked them up with a Bitcoin app that allowed them to do online work like basic on like work, like translate, like transcribing podcasts, you know, and like little kind of like micro tasks and they could get paid from anywhere on the planet. And then I'm, and I'm explaining Bitcoin to them and then they're just not getting it. And like one of them raises his hands and is like, but we can't sign up. Like, I don't have like, mm. 
they're like telling me like, what, what do you not understand? Like we can't sign up to Bitcoin. We don't have the paperwork. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait, let, let me roll it back here. You don't need paperwork to sign up to Bitcoin. All you need is a phone, which costs like 60 bucks here, like a cheap, you know, a cheap Chinese phone and an internet connection, which is widely available. And then you're good to go. And they're like, just mind blown. They had never considered the possibility of a contract of like working for a firm, especially not a foreign firm, which is paying them from the United States instantly wow. with network. Wow. Um, so Bitcoin is useful in the context of a first world country, also useful in the context of a third world country, also useful for internet. Okay. So at Bull Bitcoin, we have all sorts of different clients. One of my clients uh, type because a lot of people follow me on Twitter because of the COVID stuff and because of the globalism stuff, a lot of people are following my advice, which is get the fuck out of Canada, sell your house, buy Bitcoin and move to Panama, move to Paraguay, move to Costa Rica, El Salvador, Mexico, just get the fuck out of Canada mm -hmm. and raise your family um, in, in a nice, um, you know, uh, kind of off grid style of living. Um, people do that. They like, we have a sizable amount of our business is people, they sell their home in Canada. They send the Bitcoin abroad. And then they buy real estate with that Bitcoin abroad. So, so this is something that actually happens. First world use case. Another first world use case. And is people are accepting the Bitcoin to buy a property in Panama or wherever you see some clients. You're seeing them able to transact or do they change it into the local currency they, there? Not that it really matters. I'm just curious on the mechanism. Typically, they will have to change to the local currency. Okay. I, I would say about like... I see ads in, in Costa Rica. There, there's a few, there's definitely a few ads that specifically mention like we accept Bitcoin or, you know, or sure. tether or something like that. So, so these exist, uh, but your market is going to be a lot smaller, yeah. obviously. Um, but people are usually very able to cash out. Um, okay. That's what I wanted to ask you. They are yeah. able, you are, you have yeah. the, you see people have the mechanism to change Bitcoin to a local currency in a place like Costa Rica. That's easy yeah. enough to do. Yeah. Well in Costa Rica, I mean, well, Bitcoin is also launched in Costa Rica. That's right. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. For this specific purpose. So, so the, the, you know, the, one of the purposes is to kind of like help local adoption of merchants because here merchants get paid in Bitcoin and they're able to pay some of their suppliers and staff with Bitcoin, but not all. So they do have to convert to fiat currency to just yeah. like pay their supplies and pay their electric sure. bills and rent and, and, and so on and so forth. So that's one of the reasons why I launched in Costa Rica was to help the merchants, but you know, the business re cause, but we don't make money from this because it's small amounts and it's like, you know, it's, it's more like a feel good kind of mm -hmm. project that we're doing here. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the financial motive behind bull Bitcoin coming to Costa Rica is specifically for expats that are trying to buy real estates down here Got it. and receiving wire transfers from abroad is, is complicated here. And especially it's coming from a Bitcoin exchange. Um, Another use case that people don't talk about or don't think about is um, we have clients that are doing import exports. So we have clients that are actually exporting goods from Canada to places like Africa. And the buyer in Africa has some shit local um, African currency that they are not able to find a way to convert to Canadian dollars. And it would be so expensive because they would have to convert. Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. They have to convert to, to euros first or dollars first, and they don't have a bank, but they are able to purchase Bitcoin, large amounts of Bitcoin. Like mm. in Nigeria, if you want to purchase Bitcoin, you can use like Binance or, or some, there, there's a bunch of also African exchanges there. So you have Canadian entrepreneurs who are exporting goods to Africa, getting paid with Bitcoin. This is, oh, this wow. is a, this is wow. a real use case that's happening. Yeah. And then 
on, on the lower end of the scale, you also have people that are getting paid in uh, Costa Rica for micro jobs with Bitcoin that are paid like, I don't know, like $2 an hour with Bitcoin, with the Lightning Network. Or you have people that are transacting farmers that are selling their products to restaurants. The restaurant accepts Bitcoin from the tourists. The restaurant buys the products from the farmer with Bitcoin. The, the farmer stacks the Bitcoin and holds onto the Bitcoin because the farmer does not have access to financial investment vehicles in Costa Rica. There's like no, there's, there, there isn't this culture of like having an investment account at the bank and everybody has a retirement account. If you're a farmer in Costa Rica, you have a bank account to like, like a checking account, but you don't have an investment account. So people need to, to, to realize that I don't know how many people are using Bitcoin. Like it's possible to, to figure out in Canada, I would say like maybe 5% of the population. There's estimates that place it at 15, but I, I don't believe those. I think it's a little high. I think people maybe uh, like fucking up the surveys or something, but I, I would say like five to 10% of people in Canada had Bitcoin at some point or have or own Bitcoin. Um, but in places like Nigeria or like the Philippines or Thailand, you look at like how many people have used Bitcoin to transact and it's going to be like fucking 20%, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's smaller amounts. And um, yeah, so, so Bitcoin is obviously still very young. So as an investment, and then the investment thesis of Bitcoin is, is very simple, right? It's, it's, it's brain dead simple. It's, there's a limited amount of it. Mm. You cannot create more. So if the demand for it increases over time, the price will increase. There's no other way. And this is different from, from, and this is how like why people should read the Bitcoin standard to, to understand like the basic principles of economics. If the demand for gold rises, people will mine more gold. If the demand for Bitcoin rises, you cannot mine more Bitcoin. The, the Bitcoin mining algorithm is created so that if more people try to mine Bitcoin, long story short, the same amount of Bitcoin will be produced regardless of how many people are trying to mine it. With gold, if the price of gold rises, people will just mine more gold and then the price of gold will go down. With real estate, if there's demand for real estate increases, well, people will build more houses. There is an infinite amount of land. Like, let's be honest, in Canada, right? So, so people will just bring build more houses, and, and we kind of saw that happening. You know, with the Airbnb rush, where you know, like, there was a limited amount of Airbnbs, and people wanted to leave the city to go live in an Airbnb because fucking COVID regulations, and they want to move to the countryside. So, countryside Airbnbs are exploding. What are people doing? They're taking you know cheap debt from the bank. They're buying a, they're building a house or buying a house in the countryside, renting it out as as, as an Airbnb. But everybody did that. So, you know, the amount of Airbnbs just exploded exploded and the amount of available rentals exploded. But with Bitcoin, like you cannot do that. So what are you speculating about when you're speculating with Bitcoin? Well, there's only one spec. There's two speculations to have. One of them is that it will not like get hacked or it will not be destroyed, right? To convince someone that Bitcoin will not get hacked or be destroyed or be taken over by a government. This is usually the worry that, you know, people mm -hmm. that are like kind of like in the same mindset, they're like, yeah. well, the government will just take it over and stop it. I feel I like we're getting past that point, but yes, agreed. Yeah. Yes, that's it, a big one. It, it, yes, it, it, it's a hard. It's a hard. It's hard for me to convince someone that this is not possible because I would have to go into game theory, cryptography, yeah. and yeah. all and all of the mechanisms that make Bitcoin an anti-fragile ecosystem. Yes. So, if you're familiar with Nassim Taleb, even though he he like went off the deep end recently, <laughs> and if you if you want to if you want to understand Bitcoin, I would suggest philosophically um, understanding the concept of anti-fragility, which is kind of like an immune system where if it's attacked, it, it, it develops antibodies and becomes more robust. This is how Bitcoin works. And just trust me on this, um, Bitcoin will not go down or be hacked. Bitcoin exchanges could be banned by government. So mm -hmm. a company like Bull Bitcoin can be banned by a government and then you would have 
sure. difficulty buying Bitcoin or, or exchanging Bitcoin to fiat. But this you would still have the Bitcoin you have in your custody. Yes. You would still have the Bitcoin you have. And then it's kind of like, you know, the government banned marijuana, but you can still buy marijuana. See, okay. So on, on this point, I think you're bringing up a huge point because someone like me in 2017, I'll never forget when the AV guy at one of our events turned to me and he said, Hey, Tom, are you buying some Bitcoin? And I kind of laughed at him. Like I literally yeah. like <laughs> this Bitcoin thing. And I remember after 2017, I, I guess it was 2018 or 2000, halfway through 2018, I looked at the Bitcoin price by some random chance and I expected it to be zero. Uh -huh. I expected the price of Bitcoin to be zero. And I'll never forget the moment I checked the Bitcoin price. And yeah. I think at the time it was maybe 6,000 US dollars or so, so something like that. And it yeah. stunned me. It yeah. stunned yeah. me. I still didn't buy any, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I thought it was the tulip bubble. Like it went up like crazy. And yeah. obviously everybody knows now it's destroyed. It's nothing. How is this thing still sitting at 6,000? That was my first moment where I felt like it was anti-fragile. That was a, yeah. for me, the first yeah. moment, like, well, I still didn't do anything, which, you know, was silly, but it yeah. was the first moment that I thought this thing won't die. So, so there's, there's like, 19 point something million Bitcoins that have been created already out of 21 million. It's estimated that, I, I mean, these are all estimations and speculations. We, we can't know, but it's estimated that about 3 million Bitcoin have been lost forever. Um, like early, early people in Bitcoin, um, they didn't value it that much. They had a backup of it on their hard drive and they, they lost a hard drive and they, they didn't give a fuck because they had a thousand Bitcoins and Bitcoin was worth like yeah. one cent. So, you know, they have $10 worth, $1 worth of Bitcoin. They didn't give, give, give a shit. So it's, it's estimated by that, that like, you know, 3 million Bitcoins have been lost. And like, you know, the original wow. people that, that built Bitcoin, um, they haven't touched their Bitcoins ever. So it's kind of like, if you haven't touched, you know, millions of Bitcoins since 20, 2009, the chance that, so there's like 4 million Bitcoin are like off the market. You have 15 million Bitcoin left. I think... I don't know the numbers exactly, but I think it's something like around 3 million Bitcoins are liquid. So there's only like a small portion of the Bitcoins that are being bought and sold on the exchange. So I have this joke that I posted on Twitter uh, and it's, 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 it's very telling joke. It's Bitcoin. And I say Bitcoin will never go to zero because I will buy all of the Bitcoin at one cent just for sentimental value. You know, just, just out of principle, I will buy them all at one cent. And someone replies my, to my tweet and says, well, I will buy them at uh, two cents, two cents. And, and at three cents. And then, so you have, you have like a layer of people that we call hodlers that will not sell Bitcoin no matter what. There is a hardcore of Bitcoin believers. Mm -hmm. And it's not like a hundred of my friends and I, we're talking about millions of people. Like I've been in Bitcoin for 10 years. I and go to growing. Bitcoin. Oh, it's, it's nuts. And like, you meet a, a Bitcoiner from Germany, from Japan, from Seoul, from Latin America, and they're like into the Bitcoin culture. And they're like, they're, I'm never selling. No. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just, so that creates like a price floor. And because of the viral aspect, you know, like the, the Bitcoin cycles, they create like a news cycle and an interest cycle. And then usually the, the kind of like typical psychology is someone was interested in Bitcoin and they were like, it's a scam or blah, blah, blah. And then they forget about it. And then they look up later and then now it's 20 grand and they're like, what the fuck? And then it drops down to like four grand and then they buy in. And then the next time it drops, they just won't sell. Like it's kind of like a one way street. Like once you become a Bitcoiner, I, it's very, very rare that I talk to someone and they're like, ah, I used to be a Bitcoiner, but now I'm, I'm not a Bitcoiner anymore. Like that, that like mm -hmm. never happened, you know, no. first you buy Bitcoin because you think the price is going to go up and you're going to be rich. Then you start, you know, following Bitcoin Twitter and following Bitcoin podcasts and Bitcoin YouTube. 
and you're like, wait a minute, I like, I'm part of a revolution here. And then, you know, you, you like, you, you get attracted by, you know, we call it, so there's a meme in Bitcoin called number go up, you know, you get attracted by the number, the price of Bitcoin going up and then you fall into the ideology of Bitcoin and you understand like this wealth that I have cannot be seized. So if I sell my Bitcoin for fiat and fiat in the bank can just be frozen and seized and devalued. Like, why would I do that? There's, there's no real point. Um, and you know, if Bitcoin is also very private, you know, relatively speaking. So if, if you acquire Bitcoin and then you sell Bitcoin, you know, the, the, the wealth that you, you have, that's private, that very few people know about now becomes known wealth. So there's like a disincentive for people mm -hmm. to sell Bitcoin and people also don't want to pay capital gains tax <laughs> on their Bitcoin. So it's kind of funny because they buy Bitcoin and then they will hold because they don't want to pay the capital gains tax. So that all, all of these phenomenon create a floor and this floor is always kind of like rising. Like this floor is never decreasing. And, and uh, we see that also um, there's like, because the Bitcoin blockchain, all, all the transactions are public. They're like anonymous, but you can still see the, like, uh, you know, which coins are going to which address. And what we see is that like, there's moments where like 95% of the Bitcoins that have not moved, like have not moved like in the last year or something or the last two years, like you can see that, all right, there's like, there's like a good chunk of Bitcoin that are not moving. And there's a small chunk of Bitcoin. That's like always kind of like mm -hmm. being traded back and forth. And these are usually like the coins that are held by exchanges and by day traders and people who are buying and selling. So there's like this floor. Um, so will Bitcoin go to zero? Like, honestly, at this point, like people are so ideologically attached to Bitcoin that people like me, and there's a lot of us, like would rather go down with the ship and I, 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 the ship will not go down, but you know, the, 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 I'm the in the same, I'm in the same camp. I'm in the right. same camp. I'm in the yeah. same camp. So yeah. And I came much later than you and I'm, I'm in yeah. that camp, you know, and you, yeah. you said something really interesting right there. You said, you know, Bitcoin is still relatively young. If I look back, I, it's these technology trends that I can't yeah. shake out of my brain. Like in 1998, the internet first, you're much younger than me, Francis. So yeah. I don't know, maybe you weren't even born in 1998, but in yeah. 1998, the, the internet was very young, but it started to become useful to me. Yeah. 97, yeah. 1998. Okay. That's yeah. when it really started becoming useful email was really starting AOL was popular, all those things. And then in 2005, when I went and I left Oracle, a database company to go to a company called NetSuite that was doing accounting in the cloud. Okay. So what's that? That's seven years later, people still said in 2005, Tom, you are crazy. Nobody is going to put their accounting soft uh, information, the lifeblood of their, of their company into the internet in 2005, in 2007, 24 months later, NetSuite goes public for a billion dollars on the New York Stock Exchange. So yeah. to me, the technology trend from 1998 to 2005, seven years, it was slow. People didn't see it. But NetSuite yeah. was building, 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 yeah. started. I think it started in 2003, 2004, started building. The last two years, it goes from people in 2005 telling me at Oracle, a tech company, my, my manager's there telling me, don't go to NetSuite. Nobody is going to put their information into the internet. To 24 months later, NetSuite goes from an average sale. We were selling stuff in 2005 for about $1,000 to small, small companies. By the time I left in 2007, the average sale had gone to like $30,000, $50,000. My friends who stayed after I quit to start this company, my friends who stayed, the average sale went to $300,000, $500,000. In that last 24 months, it went from no one's going to do this to everybody is doing this. 
Yeah, and I just yeah. feel when I watch Bitcoin, if 2017 was like, to me, the big awareness moment, I know for you, it might've been much earlier, but mm -hmm. that's when I first started really hearing about it. And then 2020, it kind of took another maturation step because in 2020, it was like a whole bunch of more mainstream people to me jumped onto the Bitcoin bandwagon. I feel now like the growth could be like, oh my gosh, in two years from now, where are we going to be? When I see yeah. what bull Bitcoin's doing, like I had no idea bull Bitcoin was doing payments. And I'd been in this for years already. Uh, that was yeah. all new to me this year. I had no clue. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. As that stuff starts getting out into the population, I feel like the usage of it is really going to ramp forward and people don't see it. On oh, the yeah, friends, I, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, oh, for, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I want to touch on to something about how early we are. Okay. Um, and then we got to talk about Bill Bitcoin because I want everyone to know about what you're doing because it's important. Yeah. Like you're building yeah. this kind of like life raft. I yeah. need everyone to know about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, one last point on how early we are. So um, have you, have you uh, uh, heard about the Yellowstone series on Netflix or yes. on? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I'm so pretty sure my brother bought his pickup truck because of that TV show. Right. Okay. I'm pretty, he so won't admit that. He won't admit that, but I'm pretty sure that's. You know, imagine you're like a, a settler in new America and it's like the 1600s and basically like 1% of America is populated. It's like Manhattan or Boston or something. And yeah, you have like this vast expanse out West, you know, and, and people start to go out West and you're like, why the fuck are you going out West to claim land? It's fucking dangerous. You're going to be eaten by a grizzly bear. There's like Indians yeah. that are kill you. There's there's bandits everywhere, and like nobody's ever gonna live over there. Like nobody's ever gonna live in California. Nobody's ever gonna live in the Rockies in Wyoming or in Colorado or in Montana. That's crazy. Like, but you know, you go there and you um, claim like a hundred thousand acres of land in California. Like, how much is that worth today? Like, bil billions, billions, billions of dollars. Um, so. Basically, you have to think of like, this is kind of like the frontier phase of Bitcoin where the people who are getting into Bitcoin now are the most risk, um, not the, the, what's the opposite of risk convert, uh, that, that are willing to take the most risk. I don't see it as risky, but I can, I can see why it someone can be perceived that, as that way. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I could totally see. So it takes someone that is, that, that is willing to take risks or that is ideologically motivated or that has a day-to-day -day incentive, like they have nothing else to lose, basically. Um, same as the movement out West to get into Bitcoin. But the more people get into Bitcoin, the safer it becomes for the other followers, right? Because you have the trailblazer, mm -hmm. they're going into like the middle of nowhere. And then someone, you know, opens up, you know, a general store and then a hotel, and then it becomes a little town. And then once there's a little town, it becomes a lot safer. So people start to get into that town. It becomes a big city. And this is kind of like how Bitcoin works because, you know, we need to build wallets, hardware wallets, security infrastructure, exchanges, inheritance services, privacy services. So like all of these things are being built by like early settlers and all of these are making Bitcoin less risky and it, like removing the risk and, augmenting the value proposition of Bitcoin. And this makes it a lot more attractive for the less, uh, for, for the risk averse people to, to like to follow. Um, and I, I would direct uh, the listeners to read an article called hyper Bitcoinization, H Y P E R Bitcoinization. And this theory basically states, and um, hold on, I, I'm going to actually change rooms and plug my phone in. So sure. my internet might sure. cut out for, for a second there. No, so no I'm problem. Out of battery and we are not done. 
with this episode. Hold on. If it cuts out, I'll just refresh. No, we're good. You take your time. We, we... Excellent. Okay. Um, so the theory of hyper I'm going to summarize it. Uh, can you hear me? Am I yes. still on? Yeah, we're good. Okay. We're good. It's, it's basically that um, there, is a, there is a snowball effect. Um, the bit, Bitcoin adoption will not be linear. It will not be peaceful. It will not be... Uh, uh, it's, it's not going to be a, an easy, peaceful transition to like a Bitcoin economy. Right now, we are in the early phase. And then at some point, there, there's also another concept called speculative attack. People are going to borrow fiat money to purchase Bitcoin. Mm. They're going to exchange in mass their... Uh, the bad money for the good money. And then this is going to make the price of Bitcoin go, go up. And as the price of Bitcoin goes up, people don't want to miss out. So they start borrowing fiat money to purchase Bitcoin. This is something that we're seeing now. And it's going to bankrupt the, I think it's going to bankrupt the banking system. Like, because the Bitcoins that people are buying with the fiat money cannot, cannot be seized. So hyper-Bitcoinization is, the, is kind of like the term which describe a moment in which Bitcoin adoption starts to like rapidly increase. It's kind of like an, it's kind of like an, you can imagine like an S curve shape where it starts off very slow. And then at some point something happens and you know, it's going to be a catalytic event that makes it happen. This might be like a major, major crisis, for example, in Europe, right. Or a major takedown of the Euro. This might be a major, major political event in the United States. Uh, this might be, you know, the, uh, the installation of a central bank di digital currency and that locks people out of their funds and creates a panic. This can be kind of like a bank run type event, but it's kind of like the opposite of a bank run where instead of running to withdraw your cash from the bank, because you're afraid that, you know, the cash is going to run out before you're able to withdraw it. You're going to run to Bitcoin because you're afraid that Bitcoin will no longer be accessible. Um, if you don't, if you don't do it now. Um, so we're, we're very, very early. And like, you know, you see something like, all right, Bitcoin is at five, like 5% 5 of people own Bitcoin or say 10% of people own Bitcoin. And then you might think, oh, so Bitcoin only has 10 times more to go, you know? Um, but uh, so, you know, if, if it's a 30 grand now, it can only go to 300,000 because there's already 10% of the people that have Bitcoin. That's not true because those 10% those of people that own Bitcoin, how many have all of their wealth in Bitcoin? very, very little amount. Like mm -hmm. people that are, that have put all of their wealth into Bitcoin, that's probably. Oh, geez. Yeah. Small, like, small amount. Yes. Let, 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 let's say like 0.5 to 1% mm -hmm. of Canadians have like most of their wealth mm -hmm. in Bitcoin. Probably 0.1 of them are like crazy. Like me and my buddies, you know, my, my hardcore Bitcoin buddies have like a hundred percent of their wealth in Bitcoin. And you know, they're, they're like, borrowing money to buy more, more Bitcoin and they're selling their kidneys to buy Bitcoin. You know, that's like, that's like a very small percent of the population. So there's, there's definitely um, a, a, a lot, a lot more to go. And the technology of Bitcoin has also not been ready for prime time for, for, for a long time. And right now, just in terms of technology, we are at, at, a, at an inflection point where the new technologies that allow Bitcoin to be secured, to be passed down to next, like inheritance planning, is like a huge business in Bitcoin um, because it, it, it was a okay, hard so problem. So you're seeing the technology start to match the needs of the users because that's what yeah. I was going to ask you for hyper Bitcoinization yeah, to happen. The technology needs to exist for people to flow into it. So you're yeah. seeing that? Yeah, I would I would say that technologically speaking, we have like we have five years left to go technologically speaking before I would be 
comfortable to be like, all right, Bitcoin can handle like 2 billion or like a billion people, right? So right now I think Bitcoin probably has, you know, I think we have like a few years left to build technology to, to like withstand a massive, a horde of people, but they will, they will come regardless of whether the technology is ready or not. But like in my, in my like ideal scenario, like we're kind of like five years away technology and it's been, it's been what so far, 15, 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of like very close to technological maturity. Like Bitcoin is safe and easy to use right now, but it does, th- there are still some issues such as inheritance planning is one. And, um, and like to be able to, for, for businesses to be able to, to you mm-hmm. as, as an individual with your own like Bitcoin wallets, that's like relatively easy to handle. If you're, if you're a, a a business and you, you have many people that need to have access to the Bitcoin yeah, for daily yeah, payment. That's fair. Yes. You, you, you need to like build to tools to mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a treasury management tools, yeah. like they're, they're being built. Um, but, but it's, it's happening soon. And like the Bitcoin's innovation space is just insane and very, very busy for people that are interested into technology. It's just, it's mind blowing. And because all of these technologies are open source. So, collaborative internet technologies that don't have proprietary IP contrary to like web technologies, which were closed source in the beginning, there's a compounding effect where if someone builds a technology, someone can take that technology and build another technology on top of that. And someone else yeah. would take that technology yeah. and build on top of that. So it's kind of like the, the intellectual property pool of Bitcoin is just this kind of like commons pool, um, which, which grows like exponentially. So it's, it's very fascinating and uh de- definitely not boring like i work at bull bitcoin um now we can switch talking about bull bitcoin a little yeah. bit bull, bull bitcoin is a is is a bitcoin exchange business we were founded in 2013 we actually bull bitcoin itself the the company was founded in 2015 but in 2016 i hired i acquired a business that was launched in 2013 and this business was called Bills, B-Y-L-L-S. Oh, and that's how the, that's in, got it. Okay, I didn't understand yeah. the connection. Now I get it, yeah. okay. So, so, so Bills was the world's first bill payment business that was based out of Montreal. Uh, it was founded by a friend of mine um, and it allowed Canadians to send Bitcoin to the app. And as soon as you send Bitcoin to the app, exchange rate is locked and a fiat bank payment is initiated to whichever recipient you specified. And usually that's sent to the recipient like within the next day or the same day. So imagine um, you want to pay your hydro bill. You go on the website, you select the biller. There's like a, a, a list of like 14,000 billers saw, in Canada. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So it's like, it's crazy, man. There's so many billers in Canada. It's like, there's the weirdest shit. A lot of it is like municipal taxes and water and of every town in Canada. And there's a, all the internet bills. and But so if I have Bitcoin, I don't have to go through my bank. I can go through bull Bitcoin and say, pay this bill. Yeah. It'll sell my Bitcoin, trans- yeah. transact it in fiat dollars, change it into fiat dollars and pay the bill on my behalf. So I don't have to go through the Canadian banking system. Exactly. So, 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 and then once you've sent the Bitcoin, you don't have to do anything else. Like you literally just say, I want this bill to be paid this amount. You send the Bitcoin and it's done. Like we will convert it. We will send it to the recipient and will not be tied to your bank account. And you can also do that with e-transfer, right? So you write the e-transfer email address of the recipient. 
you sell the Bitcoin, we send the e-transfer to the recipient. You can do that with bank wires. You can do that with uh, so direct that e-transfer. That is that like any other Canadian Interact e-transfer? Is it that kind of thing? Like the recipient, what are they seeing if I sell it that way through Bill Bitcoin and I want to send somebody a hundred Canadian dollars and I say, okay, yeah. sell this much Bitcoin. So here's yeah. the email address I need to send somebody yeah. money to. Yeah. They get it like what? An Interact email kind of thing? They, they get an Interact email from Bill Bitcoin. So, so, they can, so they can deposit it into their RBC account or their BMO account or something. Yeah, that's just yeah. wild. That's yeah, completely and, wild. And that that is not tied to or it, it coming from your bank account. It's coming from Bitcoin's bank account. In the case of bills, like a credit card. So our most popular bill okay. is credit card. So so people will, so people that have a lot of Bitcoin or that are getting paid in Bitcoin or um, yes, people that have Bitcoin are getting paid in Bitcoin. Uh, typically what they will do to like cash out their Bitcoin is they're going to rack up their credit card or credit cards. And when the price of Bitcoin goes up, they will pay off their credit card debt. That's, that's oh, a got that's, it. Yeah. 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 I never thought of that. Common, yeah. Yeah. A very okay. common usage of Bitcoin is this. Um, people also pay like their monthly hydro bills, stuff like that. You know, we have Bitcoin miners that are paying hydro bills that are like $10,000 a month. Um, we've got businesses and you can also pay, like your staff in direct deposits. So we do have businesses that are paying their staff um, with yeah. Bitcoin. So, you know, you're an online business, you get paid with Bitcoin, but you have a contractor in Canada yeah. um, that doesn't accept Bitcoin. We, we have yeah, all yeah, yeah. This is blowing my mind a little bit. I know people who are mining Bitcoin, so they can mine the Bitcoin and then through your service, they could really just pay anybody, mine the yeah. Bitcoin and they pay yeah. anybody. That's kind of wild. Yeah. We have, we have all sorts of fun use cases. Like we have a, we have a bunch of tuition payments that are coming from overseas. So, you know, you have like a student. Oh yeah. Got it. From whatever country. And then his parents don't want to send him a wire to his bank account because he's going to spend it all. So the student gives his bills to the parents, the parents pay the bills with Bitcoin. Um, so, so that's, that's like a, a really cool use case. And then on the other side, we have the buy Bitcoin. So, so people can sell Bitcoin. They can send to their own bank account or to someone else. So when you send to someone else, we call it a bill payment. And when you sell to your own bank account, obviously, if you want to, you know, choose yourself as a recipient, you can you can do that. Sure. Um, and then uh, on the other side, we have the buy a Bitcoin service. And then I'll I'll get to like how bull Bitcoin is different just after the, uh, I described it. So the buy a Bitcoin uh, service, there's really three kind of like types of buyers. Um, one of them is like, we have kind of a prime service for, for high net worth and VIP kind of individuals. So that is our bread and butter actually. So a lot of people know us in bull Bitcoin because we're very vocal in the Bitcoin community and we, we like have like a large base of followers, but, um, we like our, our business is not to like have a lot of people that are making small transactions. Like that's kind of like, you know, one of our competitors shake pay, they, they really specialize in like these little small amounts, like we specialize in like people that want to buy a large amount of Bitcoin and that need like hands-on advisory services. Uh, one of the reasons why we're so good at this is because we don't have slippage, right? We're an OTC brokerage. So if you buy, you know, $5 million worth versus like, you know, a hundred dollars um, on an order book based trading platform, if, if you make a big purchase at one time, you're going to get wrecked by, by slippage. Bull Bitcoins is different. It's like, there's a fixed price and, uh, regardless of the amount. And we do this because we are connected to multiple order book exchanges and we do, we do arbitrage and we have a trading engine in the back end. So, so if someone wants to buy a large amount of Bitcoin, there's, there's no slippage. And, and for that service, they're speaking to somebody on the phone at bull Bitcoin, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. And what would be, yeah. I know this could always change. What would be the minimum for somebody to use that service just to paint the picture for someone? I know it always changes. So yeah. if just a rough dollar amount. To, to be, to, to be honest, like, so someone could 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 literally do that and 
you know, if they wanted to buy like a thousand bucks and they gave us a call, we probably wouldn't turn them down. Um, but we, we try to like keep like a large amount for us is like 10,000 bucks or more, yeah, got um, it. you know, and, uh, and then the, the maximum amount you can do is like there, there, I mean, there technically is no maximum there. There's probably one point where we would be like, listen, like we're not going to make money on this trade because the slippage is so high. Let's say you want to buy a hundred million dollars <laughs> worth of Bitcoin. Like we, we, cannot, we cannot do that. You cannot smash by hundred million. <laughs> probably, probably if you're like buying like 5 million or more, we would probably space it out like at least like two or three trades during one day or a couple of days or something like that. Um, but you know, anything under 5 million, you probably just like click a button and then just smash by. And then, um, and then the particularity of bull Bitcoin, bull Bitcoin has like three particularities. Um, one of them, which is my greatest pride and joy, and this may not matter to the investor, but all of our technology at bull Bitcoin is developed in house. Our Bitcoin wallets are developed in house that we use in the back end. We don't use any third party providers. We're not a lot of exchanges. They're just like reselling third party providers. So, you know, you think you're using an exchange, but actually, actually that exchange that you're using is, is just a marketing website over another exchange. Um, so we use our own technology. Everything is open source and built in house. Um, our technology is built specifically so that it respects the privacy of Bitcoin users. I'm not going to go into too many details, but, um, Bitcoin transactions are traceable on the blockchain and bull Bitcoin employs a, a lot of energy, a lot of software, um, to protect our users from having their tra transactions easily tracked and traced on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and, uh, we are accepting like we integrated, uh, lightning network, liquid network, all sorts of, um, very cool technologies. This doesn't really matter to the average user, but it makes bull Bitcoin resilient to something like an FTX type collapse or like BlockFi. So when you see like these exchanges that are, that are like getting hacked or getting, um, getting, uh, that are dependent on another wallet that gets hacked, uh, this stuff cannot happen to bull Bitcoin. The other thing, uh, bull Bitcoin is a Bitcoin only exchange. So we do not sell securities. We do not sell investments. We do not offer yield. We do not offer any shitcoin whatsoever. When you go on bull Bitcoin, there's only one thing you can buy, and that's Bitcoin. Um, you can smash buy any amount of Bitcoin that you want. We also offer a really cool dollar cost averaging service, which is very popular, which is that let's say like you don't know when you don't know when is the right time to buy Bitcoins. Obviously, one of the most common questions we get in our support chat is like, hey guys, like is it a good time to buy? Obviously, we don't know. Um, so if you don't know, well, you can close your eyes and just buy it now and just not care about it. I actually think that's a, a, a decent thing to do. You know, it's like, <laughs> just, let's fuck it. Just, you know, yes. you have like a hundred grand, you want to invest in Bitcoin, just close your eyes, buy it now and just stop thinking about it. But what happens if the price of Bitcoin drops by like 20% the next day, you know, you missed out on 20% more Bitcoin. So you can do dollar cost averaging, which is you can program a, a buy Bitcoin schedule. Let's say like, you know, you have a hundred grand to invest all right, I'm going to buy like a thousand bucks a day for a hundred days. So that way my buy-in price of Bitcoin will effectively be the weighted average of those last hundred days. Um, so that, that's a, a really, really cool feature that we have. Um, and the, the other uh, particularity with bull Bitcoin is that we are a non-custodial exchange. This makes bull Bitcoin the best Bitcoin business in the world. Also makes bull Bitcoin harder to use than a traditional exchange. That is unavoidable. Um, we are working on technologies to make it always easier for the user. 
what does this mean? So typically when you're buying Bitcoin on a, on a regular exchange, you buy the Bitcoin and it goes into your exchange account. And then the exchange owns the Bitcoin. Like you don't own the Bitcoin, you own a claim to a certain Bitcoin amount, which is held by someone else. It's kind of like, you know, having a gold, having gold in a bank vault versus having gold in your own vault, right? Yeah, because if something then happens to the exchange, either the government issues something or the exchange itself yeah. does something incorrect, you don't have your Bitcoin. Yeah. You, you, you're saying you guys are different than that. Yeah, yeah. So if the exchange gets hacked, not bull, but if another exchange gets yes. hacked, yep. you're fucked. And you will never get your Bitcoin back. There's no, you might think that the exchange has insurance. You might think that you can sue them and get your money back. You will not. Um, you will get one penny on the dollar at maximum. Um, with bull Bitcoin, when you buy Bitcoin, you need to first, before you even buy Bitcoin, you need to have your own Bitcoin wallet, right? So you need to download an app on your phone or you need to download software on your laptop or you need to buy a hardware wallet and install it. So this makes Bitcoin, bull Bitcoin a little bit dif more difficult because it requires you to take physical possession of the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you click buy Bitcoin on bull Bitcoin, we send the Bitcoin to the address that you specified right away. We are never in possession of your Bitcoin. We're not custodians. We will not take responsibility. It is your responsibility. And the reason why we did that is twofold. First of all, it's ideological. We want people to have no other choice than to take responsibility and possession of their Bitcoin. And the other one is, I don't want bull Bitcoin to be a target for hackers. I don't want to receive a court order asking me to freeze someone else's Bitcoin. I don't want that responsibility. I want to sleep well at night. Mm -hmm. I want to know that whatever I do, I cannot compromise your money. If bull Bitcoin gets hacked, we lose our money, not your money. If bull Bitcoin gets shut down by the government, we will lose our own money, not your money. That's very, very important to us. So that's why there's like a little friction associated with- I have Bitcoin. seen it. I, I got to admit though, I have seen new people, maybe they're younger, but I have seen them. And I don't know if you're going to agree with this, download the blue wallet onto their phone. They're new. I've seen yeah. them go to bull Bitcoin. I've seen them do a non-KYC uh, deposit at Canada Post with a, sm a small amount and yeah. get the Bitcoin sent to their blue wallet on their phone. Yeah. So they're custodying themselves all through yeah. Bill Bitcoin all yeah. in one day, like Super all in easy. one afternoon. So yeah. I know there is a bit of friction for sure, yeah. but I've, I have seen people and I don't know if it's the younger generation or what, but I have seen people move pretty quick. So so we, we have like mo most of our big clients are like, over 50 years old, um, specifically sure. because we, we like, we specialize in high net worth individuals and like, you know, high net worth individuals are like typically older, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I'm like, we have a saying at bull Bitcoin eternity. It's nobody left behind. So your, your grandmother is able to download a Bitcoin wallet. Um, anybody is, is able to download a Bitcoin wallet Ar arguably using Bitcoin is just as easy as using email. Like, what we want to make sure of is that people have backed up their Bitcoin wallet in case they yeah. lose it. Yeah. So yeah. getting into Bitcoin with bull Bitcoin is really easy. You download the blue wallet app, you copy and paste the address, you buy, it goes to your phone. It's fine. But like, we want to make sure that people back up their wallets and backing up their wallet. Sure. What it, it, it is actually easy, right? It's like you write down your 12 secret words that we were talking about at the beginning of the show on a piece of paper, and then you hide that under your bed and then you know, maybe you add an encryption password on top of it and then that's it. You're, you're safe forever. Um, but uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's really, really easy. Uh, it's just that people have this like fear of taking ownership of their own money because they think that if the exchange 
is taking care of their own money, then it's not their responsibility. It's someone else's responsibility mm. and they'll be fine. But overwhelmingly, people lose their Bitcoin overwhelmingly because they left it on an exchange and the exchange got hacked. And I'm talking about like 90%, 95% of any person you ever talk to that lost Bitcoin, you ask them, how did you lose your Bitcoin? Oh, my exchange got hacked. Yeah, or my exchange account got, got hacked. Right? Because like your Bitcoin wallet on your phone, I'm, I'm going to say this with like a little grain of salt, cannot be hacked. It is exceedingly difficult, in, insurmountable difficulty almost for some hacker in China or in Russia or anywhere to like gain remote control to your phone and hack your, your phone wallet and get the Bitcoins from your own wallet. Yeah. That does not happen. You never hear about that. What the hacker can do is hack your exchange account by, for example, SIM swapping your phone, by sending you a phishing link that you click a phishing link and then they gain access to your exchange account yeah. and then you drain your exchange account. So you think your coins are safe on an exchange? They're not. You've outsourced responsibility to someone which is incompetent because most Bitcoin exchanges are very incompetent people. Like bull Bitcoin, I think is one of the very few competent exchanges on the planet, like technologically security wise competent. Listen, Francis, I just want to say something to anyone listening. Yeah. I've used a bunch of exchanges here in Canada. Um, yeah. I'd love what you guys are doing so much. I just want, I feel blessed and honored that you're here today with us. I feel blessed that you're also building this for Canadians yeah. because I feel like it's a bit of a life raft that you're offering people. Is, and yeah. I want everyone to know about Bull Bitcoin. From what I see, it is the very best way to purchase Bitcoin in Canada. I know you're talking, you have high net worth options, but I've seen people buy yeah. small amounts on daily cost averaging. What you've built, I'm thrilled with. What I heard you talk about at the Bitcoin conference, I don't know if you're, I don't know if your mobile functionality is coming out later this year. That's something you're working on. But I remember that just completely yeah. blowing my mind. Yeah. So just what you guys are doing, yeah. I'm a huge fan and I just yeah. want to thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. So we are coming out with a, a mobile app. So one of the big downsides of Bitcoin, Bull Bitcoin is that it's a web app only right now. Uh, you can use it on your phone, but it's, it's not a mobile app. And we are coming up with a mobile app that includes a Bitcoin wallet. So for someone who does not know anything about Bitcoin, they just download the Bull Bitcoin app. They click buy, they send the, the, an indirect transfer, wire transfer, or um, they go to Canada Post. And uh, with Bull Bitcoin, by the way, we didn't talk about this, but as you, as you mentioned briefly, um, we have an option where you can buy Bitcoin with cash or with a debit card at a, any post office in Canada. And if you stick under $1,000 a day in transaction, you don't have to give ID or you don't have to identify yourself. So we have we have an option which respects your privacy, but only for small amounts. If, if you're investing a large amount of Bitcoin, we don't have a choice. We need, we need to get your ID and you know log you into our records and all of that. That's just Canadian regulations. Um, but yeah, we are coming out with this app. I honestly think in all humility that when this app comes out and we, we, we've been building it for about, about a year and a half, it's, 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 it's a very technologically advanced piece of software. So it's not just like any exchange app. It's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, it goes a lot more deep than that. So I'm hoping December or January, um, it will be out. I'm confident that it will be the best Bitcoin app ever built in any country. Um, I'm, I'm very confident that this is the case. And also for those who are interested, like Bull Bitcoin is, has been Canada only for the last 10 years, but we are finally expanding internationally. So we launched in Costa Rica like a month ago. Um, we're uh, hoping to launch in Europe later this year, oh, Mexico. Wow. Yeah, Mexico as well. So it's uh, Costa Rica, Mexico, Brazil, Europe are all on the, including the UK, 
are all on the uh, roadmap. Um, the USA will never be on our roadmap. Uh, doing Bitcoin business in the USA um, is incredibly difficult because of uh, American regulations. So we're not going to touch that, but um, hopefully Australia and some countries in Asia are going to be next. So, um, and I want, I want uh, in India as well, I'm looking at doing a, um, a, a remittance option for Indians that are in Canada that are sending money to India. Um, long story short, uh, the price of India of Bitcoin in India is much higher than the price of Bitcoin in Canada because of India's capitals controls. The price of Bitcoin in India is like 5% oh. to 10% higher oh, it in, is. In, Got it. to buy. So if you buy Bitcoin in Canada and you send it to India and you sell it in, in India, mm. instead of paying money to send money to India, you're actually going to be making more money. Yeah, you're, you're going to be gaining. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to allow Indian Canadians to send money to, to oh, India wow. and, and actually make money on this. Um, so yeah, so we're expanding and we're not going anywhere. So, you know, keep following our work. Um, but like the bull Bitcoin that people know and love is about to get a massive upgrade. And I'm just so, so excited to, to share that later this year with everybody in Canada. You're part of that technology, technology progression that I was talking yeah. about earlier. You're part of that. So it's, t- it's super exciting for me to watch you. Like just yeah. know that there's people on the sidelines cheering you on that maybe you don't see every day, but we are, you know, and, and, and you know, that's, that's like what keeps me going you know, 70 hours a week working on this thing is that like, I know that people really value because bull bull Bitcoin is a business and, you know, our primary uh, objective is to make profits. So bull Bitcoin makes a profit on the exchange rate spread. It's kind of like a currency exchange at the airport. You know, we have a buy price that's higher than the sell price. Um, So we we make money off of our clients, obviously. Uh, But like we also, we're also like an, almost like an activist group. You know, we are very, we're very I political. Yeah. <laughs> we have like a very, we have a very outspoken political agenda, which is to eliminate the state and eliminate central banks or reduce the size of, reduce the size of the state to its bare minimum, which I would say is probably just like courts and police and army. Um, our explicit mandate is to destroy all central bank, destroy fiat currency, and also to protect and preserve the, the cypherpunk or like, anarchist or, or crypto anarchist roots of mm. Bitcoin, which is to preserve privacy of the users, keep the Bitcoin network decentralized and keep Bitcoin secure and resistant to government attacks. Um, so people in the kind of like libertarian uh, anti-establishment crowd, they understand that bull Bitcoin has a, has a social mission, which is to reduce the size of government and eliminate central banking. And people in the Bitcoin crowd also have an understanding that we are creating technology that helps protect Bitcoin and helps protect Bitcoin users. And like, you know, whenever I leave my jungle hideout and I go to a Bitcoin conference, everybody's just telling me that they're so grateful about, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, people consider bull Bitcoin like, like, like a sports team almost. They're like cheering for bull Bitcoin and they want bull Bitcoin to succeed. And um, we have an incredible amount of volunteers that are just always helping out, um, you know, so so um, we're, we're very grateful for that. And it's just a reminder that like, people want like people want what we have to offer and it's not just the product like they they there is a, a huge demand yeah, for people want their sovereignty back people yeah. want yeah. their sovereignty back and i i, yeah. I mentioned b- uh, briefly we have an event on october 14th yeah. we're proud to have you guys there i know two guys from yeah. bitcoin matt yeah. and william are going to be there and uh yeah. 
I'm, I'm thrilled. Like you have no idea. This is very meaningful for me personally. Yeah. So maybe it's a selfish move, Francis, yeah. but it's very meaningful yeah. for me personally to have yeah. bull Bitcoin there. So, yeah. uh, yeah. And what will happen I, I, is for, for people who attend, like what you're going to, what you can expect is, um, go talk to the two bull Bitcoin guys that are going to be, I, I think we're going to have a booth or we're going to, we're going yes, to have some, yes. some presence. Yeah. Go, go, go talk to them and how it's going to work. If you're new to Bitcoin, you're going to schedule a phone call. And probably the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to help you over the phone set up with the Bitcoin wallet. Um, maybe if you want to buy our hardware, like a physical security device, we're going to buy it for you and, and ship it to you. And then we're going to help you install it. And then once you, once we feel confident that, okay, you're, you have your own wallet, you have a backup, you understand what, you, what yeah, you're yeah. doing. <laughs> um, you, you'll basically have like an accounts guy and a technical guy that it will set you up with the wallet. And then, you know, we'll help you make your first purchases. And then from that point on, you know, you're probably going to be yeah, able to do it on your, you're on your own. Um, but like the, the experience that you're going to have is you're going to be talking with someone over the phone with a, with a zoom call. And you know, it's, you're not going to be on your own. Like, um, you're always going to have someone that's kind of like holding your hand. Um, I guess it, and it's kind of like in the same philosophy that, you know, you guys are doing with rockstar, like, you know, there's, if you have any questions about, you know, inheritance accounting, yeah. uh, all, all sorts of things, We'll point you to the right expert. We'll send you the right um, reading materials. And, um, you know, if, if you need to get on the call, um, you know, it's not like a 24-hour phone line, but you can always book like a, like a Zoom meeting. And uh, we literally have like, we, can, we have a kind of call center. That's very different also than, than other exchanges. It's like, it's not a support system, ticket system. It's like, we have a call center. We, we book phone calls and, and we look at your you face. and to someone. Yeah, you can speak to someone. Yeah. Francis, I need to, now I need to wrap because I need to go in a yeah. second, but man, thank okay. you for the, anything else you want to share before we wrap yeah, here? No, no, that, that, thank that's you great. For this. I, I had a lot of fun on the interview and uh, th thank you so much for your time. And yeah, uh, yeah look, look forward to uh, meeting uh, all of your clients and uh, your fans and uh, well, not me, but my team um, in Toronto. When is it again? It's, in October it's Saturday, 14th. October 14th. Oh, 14th. That's right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be bugging you again because you don't know this. When the mobile app comes out, I know you're going to be busy, but I'm going to be bugging you to come back and share everybody with what's going on. So, yeah, I thank will. you, Francis. Thank you. thank you. All right. Have a good day. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Francis. If you want to pick up $20 worth of Bitcoin when you make a new account, you can visit RockstarBTC. .ca. That'll take you to a special page, um, Bull Bitcoin site, where if you sign up through that, you are going to get $20 worth of Bitcoin with every new account that is made there. And um, if you are thinking of using them and you've never bought Bitcoin where you take possession or custody of itself, one of the easiest ways to do that would be using a wallet for Bitcoin on your phone. So the one of the ones, and there's many, and you know people have their different favorites but one of the ones that's pretty popular is is called the blue wallet so you can use your iphone you can go to the app store you can download something called the blue wallet and that's a bitcoin wallet and when you download the blue wallet it's going to give you the opportunity to create a new wallet when you launch the app it'll say hey do you want to create a new bitcoin wallet and it's going to ask you to back up your wallet with these 12 words. And it's those 12 magical words that people in the Bitcoin community always talk about. And ultimately, that's your backup for this wallet. So that let's say, you know, your phone was destroyed or you lost your phone, you could go to another wallet 
And instead of creating a new wallet, you could say, I want to recover an existing wallet. You would punch in those 12 words that you've backed up some or written them down on a piece of paper and hid them in a top secret location. And you would have access to all your Bitcoin again. And that's kind of what what's, makes Bitcoin so beautiful, the fact that you could do that. So if you want to use Bull Bitcoin, you could go to Blue Wallet, download the app, and then you have your own Bitcoin wallet. Then you would go to Bull Bitcoin, make an account there. And when you buy Bitcoin, it's going to say on Bull Bitcoin, well, we're not going to hold the Bitcoin for you. This is your Bitcoin. Where do you want to send it? And on your blue wallet, you could say, hey, give me an address where I can tell Bull Bitcoin, you know, where to send my Bitcoin to this blue wallet on my phone. And it's called a receiving address. And you would get the receiving address. You would pop it into Bull Bitcoin. And when you buy Bitcoin, it's going to magically appear in your blue wallet on your phone and you have possession. Now, there's all kinds of things you need to know about this. You need to back it up properly. Like I mentioned with those 12 words, you need to back them up and keep them in a secure place. And uh, you can really go down the rabbit hole here and get a hardware wallet. Uh, cold card is a really popular one right now. There's tons of YouTube videos. If you Google up how to use a cold card on you know, how you might wanna use that, which is the next level of security and more secure than a blue wallet. So you can transfer your Bitcoin from your blue wallet to something like a cold card. So there's all different things you can learn about. But the nice thing about Bitcoin is they're Canadian and they have people who will help you. So if you have a question about this stuff, you can reach out to them and they will actually respond. So Bull Bitcoin is kind of a one-stop shop for getting access to your Bitcoin, holding it yourself, getting help with Bitcoin. And some of the other services that they have where under $1,000 you can buy through Canada Post non-KYC Bitcoin or pay your bills. If you have some Bitcoin, if you were lucky enough to come across some Bitcoin that you want to use to pay some bills, they'll do that kind of stuff for you. So definitely a company that has intrigued us. And uh, yeah, just feel fortunate that we've crossed paths with them. They're actually going to be at the Your Life, Your Terms event on Saturday, October 14th. So we're pumped about that as well. And if you want $20 worth of Bitcoin when you sign up a Bull Bitcoin, you can go to rockstarbtc.ca. It might take a second to redirect over to the Bull Bitcoin page where you're gonna get that, but that's what it's going to do. And that's it. Um, we're, we, we think this is super important that all Canadians should be exploring this stuff. And even if you're not fully convinced on Bitcoin at this point, I would say don't ignore it. Start learning about it. Pay attention to it. Even if you're not going to buy any for yourself, definitely pay attention to it. That's, that's our two sats on that. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed this particular episode. And until next time, your life, your terms.